to Abraham, kill me a son. Abe said, man, you must be putting me on. God said, no. Abe said, what? God said, you can do what you want, Abe, but uh, next time you see me coming, you better run. Welcome, this is Michael Volkoff, and this is episode 247 of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Today, we're going to talk about corporate culture, and this is uh, sort of a summary of ideas, current uh, thinking around corporate culture, some uh, new ideas. Corporate culture roundup is what I called it. So uh, thanks for joining me today, and uh, hope you're all doing well. Um, So let's dig into corporate culture just because uh, it's really uh, an important topic. As I always say, corporate culture is your most uh, significant internal control, and uh, it's all the rage now, meaning it is an often used topic to signal commitment, sensitivity to issues of employee concern, and an awareness of governance trends. But in practice, as we all know, culture is not just about words, it is about action. And when it's about action, uh, talk is not enough. Talk is not only cheap, but it can cost you a lot of money if you fail to attend to uh, your corporate culture in a meaningful way. So all too often we hear how corporate leaders who mistakenly believe that their company culture was strong are somehow shocked to learn about systematic misconduct resulting in a government enforcement action. These senior leaders are not being honest with themselves and their stakeholders. Uh, Senior leadership knows that corporate culture demands more than words, but they convince themselves that they're lofty and inspirational words are sufficient. Um, In the end, senior leadership teams are either unable to move themselves to tackle the important issue of culture, or they're unwilling to look under the hood of their company's culture to discover potential issues that warrant attention. Instead, they focus on the more interesting issues of quarterly financial performance, key business decisions, and strategic moves in the marketplace. Only when pressed to act, when an emergency occurs, will senior leadership suddenly turn to corporate culture and employee misconduct and governance failures. Reactive attention to culture is just that, reactive than proactive. In these cases, senior leadership teams have to be held accountable for their failure to institute a proactive approach to managing corporate culture. It is important to remember that a company's reputation is the company's most valuable and tangible asset. A company's culture is inextricably tied to its reputation. As such, corporate culture, like any other valuable asset, has to be protected and promoted. Rough estimates of the value of a company's culture vary between 25 to 40 percent of stock value. Now, when measured against other tangible and intangible corporate assets, senior leaders um, that ignore corporate culture are committing negligence at the very least. Yet we've not seen efforts to hold boards and senior leaders for negligence in meeting corporate governance standards 
Instead, corporate accountability enforcement often points to structural deficiencies, such as in the Boeing case, a lack of a safety oversight and monitoring committee or some other glaring governance failure. To address this issue, corporate leaders have to begin the hard work by defining its culture, the measures or indicia of its culture, collection and analysis of culture measures, and monitoring of corporate culture. A proactive strategy ensures that a company identifies potential problems before they occur, implements remedial solutions in advance of a cultural breakdown, and remain vigilant in monitoring its corporate culture. Now, one aspect of this uh, has been increased reporting of uh, harassment, discrimination, um, and retaliation-type claims, uh, bullying-type claims, and that all points to uh, what I call civility in corporate culture and the link between civil treatment and respectful treatment. And we live in a challenging time. Yes, uh, I know that that's uh, just another you know profound grasp of the obvious. But from my narrow perspective, there are two significant trends occurring at the same time. People are angry. They're more willing to express their anger and frustration in situations. The use and the availability of social media foments that, while others at the same time appear to be embracing empathy, kindness, and increased concern for others. I know this sounds uh, circular, but hear me, hear me out on this. Yes, our political dialogue has deteriorated to a low and dangerous level. In the past, an honest dialogue, sharing of ideas, and a calm and spirited discussion could lead to increased understanding of each other's political views and perspectives. The didactic process for evolution in ideas has always been an important part of our human and social experience. That process, however, is clearly breaking down. Civility has been replaced by anger, hostility, um, and aggression without regard for any consideration of another's ideas or even perspective. We can spend days discussing why this happened, who began the cynical retreat, and how this phenomenon may end. At the same time, we've also... Uh, witnessed extraordinary acts of kindness, sharing of concerns for other, care and the charitable motivation of people to each other, indeed a greater sense of empathy. While the internet has exacerbated the isolation of individuals, at the same time it may have increased community responses to specific tragedies or personal need for help by increasing interaction among individuals who may not normally know each other or have an opportunity to meet each other uh, in person. So with these two conflicting ideas or trends, which are often present within one organization, ethics and compliance professionals have to recognize the challenges they face when seeking to increase some employee unity, bonding in a community, and ultimately the company's culture. After all, employees often come together in sharing the company's mission, in valuing the company's performance, and ensuring sustainable growth and financial performance. You know, in recognition of these important trends, senior management has to act to demonstrate commitment to corporate culture with the basic idea of treating each other's each other as they themselves want to be treated. I know it's a simple idea, but it has a powerful impact. Human resources and ethics and compliance need to reinforce these principles throughout the organization. To this end, an important message has to be communicated from the board and senior management 
Our organization's success depends on civility, a basic requirement among all individuals, no matter what position. We all treat each other with respect and in a civil manner. Basic rules have to be communicated, defined, and enforced. So in the absence of such an initiative, a company's culture can break down quickly as a result of interpersonal uh, interactions that are hostile, negative, or consistent with outside social and political uh, dynamic forces. A company's success then depends on its ability to create a safe environment in which employees can feel uh, not just safe, but not just physically safe, but in personal interactions and communications tone. A civil environment is a basic standard that must be, so, uh, must be satisfied. Employee engagement, though, depends on trust, respect, and civility. Senior management plays a critical role. If a CEO or other senior managers are abusive, employee engagement will deteriorate. In a negative work culture, employee misconduct rates increase and overall productivity clearly declines. A basic expectation of civility is a first step in building trust and employee engagement. Companies that act in this way have accomplished an important first step on their way to a positive culture. Given the difficult political and social time in which we live, companies have to build safe spaces, effective protections against a deteriorating culture that stems from a lack of basic civility and respect for each other. And I just got back from uh, a diligent conference, which was uh, terrific, in Austin, Texas. And one of the issues that kept coming up uh, in a lot of our presentations and discussions was uh, problems between compliance and human resources. And in the I always expect human resources and ethics and compliance to be a perfect match. They have so much in common. HR and ENC both care about corporate culture, employee morale, training programs, interpersonal relationships, incidents and misconduct, and compliance with corporate policies and the law. They should have a close working relationship and take great pride in advancing the company's culture, morale, productivity, and achievements. But something is not working in this idealistic match. I'm surprised how often I hear about how HR and ENC do not work well together when there's an internal sniping and lack of cooperation. In learning about a company, there are always telltale signs that something at HR and compliance is not working. And here are a few signs that I've witnessed. One, the silo effect. In many situations, HR has used its unique quote-unquote expertise as a way to silo off any influence or control from outside forces. In these cases, HR often refers to its special role in managing employees, handling confidential employee information, understanding employee concerns, and preventing any breakdown in employee morale. Another, the confidential data block. In furtherance of the silo effect, HR professionals often promote the idea that HR handles very sensitive and confidential data relating to employee issues. This excuse is often used as a way to prevent ENC, legal, and other functions from accessing employee data on HR matters, employee reporting da data on a hotline or walk-in reports, and HR-related investigations and resolutions of uh, employee issues. Another 
Another theme that I've heard is professionalism and the HR investigators. To prevent E&C and sometimes legal from involvement in HR matters, HR professionals cite their, quote, unique, close quote, expertise and familiarity with how to conduct a, a investigations of HR issues. HR investigations can total as much as 80% of corporate-wide internal investigations. That fact by itself, however, does not mean that ENC and legal should be excluded from HR investigations. To the contrary, when working cooperatively, I've found that cross-function participation can enhance outcomes. Data sharing as a basic issue should be accomplished with ANC as a matter of course, with ENC. And DOJ has uh, uh, supported this expectation. Nonetheless, some HR shops have clung to their data like life rafts in what they perceive as a governance flood. HR professionals, as a, role, a rule, know better. Many welcome ENC, legal, and other functions with open arms. In these situations, HR is a valuable and critical player in the overall corporate governance operations. Like I said, HR and ENC are natural partners. They have so much in common. Indeed, HR and ENC should be tied at the hip when it comes to managing and oversight of corporate culture. Employee incidents are often leading indicators of deteriorating culture. HR professionals usually identify early breakdowns in culture and can provide ENC with valuable insights. Working together, ENC and HR professionals often build effective culture surveys, focus groups, and other tools needed to manage culture. Further, HR data is an important indicator of where the company stands in employee morale, misconduct, and potential issues of concern. Well, those are a few thoughts in the Corporate Culture Roundup. We'll be back uh, next week with another episode of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Like I said, we're coming up with a, on episode 250, will be a new, uh, and we're launching our new and uh, exciting uh, rebranded uh, podcast, which I hope you'll enjoy, and uh, you'll hear more about that soon. Anyways, have a great uh, week. Um, and stay in touch, stay healthy, and we'll, and we'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening to Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Please subscribe to the podcast series. The Volkov Law Group believes that every company should have a robust ethics and compliance program. Experience and research show that ethical companies are better performers in the global marketplace. You can learn more about the legal and compliance services we offer at our website, www.volkovlaw.com You can also follow our award-winning blog, Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, and our podcast series. You can contact Michael Volkov at his email address, mvolkov at volkovlaw.com Well, Georgia Sam, he had a bloody nose. Well, fatty partner, they wouldn't give him no clothes. They asked poor Howard, where can I go? Howard said, there's only one place I know. Sam said, tell me quick, man, I got to run. Oh, Howard just pointed with his gun and said, that way down Highway 61. Finger
and said to Louis the King, I got 40 red, white, blue shoe strings and a thousand telephones that don't ring. Do you know where I can get rid of these things? And Louis the King said, let me think for a minute, son. Then he said, yes, I think it can be easily done. Just take everything down to Highway 61. She says it's much too white He said come here and step into the light He says mm, you're right Let me tell a second mother this has been done But the second mother was with the seventh son And they were both out on Highway 61 Bleachers out in the 